Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from Yourself and Your House Wonderful by H.A. Gerber. Chapter 2. What Goes Into Your House If you look into your mouth, keeping your tongue down, you will see a hole in the back. This hole leads to a kind of stairway which runs up into your nose and ears and down into your stomach and lungs. The part running down looks like two tubes. One of these tubes is used for the air we breathe and the other for the food we eat. Instead of steps, these stairways or tubes have elastic rings which open and shut, as you can feel if you choose next time you swallow. You surely know that you can take in air as well as food through your mouth if you care to do so. Well, the air tube or staircase is nearer the front of your body than the food tube or staircase. In fact, it opens just behind the hole you see in the back of your mouth. When the tongue gathers up the food to throw it down the food tube, which is just behind the air tube, the master quickly telegraphs to the little doorkeeper, who opens and shuts the air tube, saying, "'Food coming! Shut that door!' Right away, a little trap door closes the opening of the air hole, and the tongue pushes the food back over it until it rolls down the food tube, where each step or ring opens to receive it and then closes behind it, so as to prevent it going in any but the right direction. It is because there are such elastic rings in our food tubes that clowns at the circus can eat and drink even while standing on their heads. Although you might think the food and water would then run down into their noses or ears, it all goes to the right place, thanks to those useful little rings. At the bottom of the food, or back stairway, there is a little room called the stomach. This room, too, is all lined with skin. It is shaped something like a big pear, and is so elastic that it can stretch so as to receive quite a quantity of food at one time. This little room is also something like a cradle or swing, for it rocks and shakes the food for one, two, or three hours so as to mix it up quite nicely. Now, we are going to make believe, although the little room is really quite empty, that there is a little dwarf who lives down there, because I want you to know just what goes on in it. When the master telegraphs to the tongue, throw that food downstairs, he also sends a message to the stomach saying, food coming, get ready to receive it. Then the dwarf runs to the tube or stairway, and when the food drops down into the stomach, he looks it all over very carefully. If it is good, wholesome food, the dwarf is greatly pleased. He rubs his hands with glee and says, bread, that's good, and nicely chewed too. That's sensible, all mixed up with spittle. Ah, just the way it should be. That will make fine blood, bone, muscle, and nerves. Meanwhile, the front door upstairs has opened to receive a mouthful of meat, which the master saw coming too. Again, he telegraphs to the teeth, tear up that meat, to the tongue, turn it over and over, and to the spittle buckets, moisten it. When the meat is just like pulp, the master bids the tongue throw it down the food tube into the stomach. Again, the air tube closes, the food passes safely over the little trap door, and rolls downstairs, where the little dwarf in the stomach receives it, saying, Ah, meat, and well chewed too. That is right. Meat should always be chewed up fine, or it gives me a world of trouble. 
I'm glad to see that the teeth and tongue upstairs are doing their duty. Master must have reminded them to chew their food carefully. Sometimes he is so taken up attending to other duties that he forgets all about it. Then the jaws stop moving, the teeth don't chew, the tongue won't turn the food over and over, and the lazy thing gets rid of it all by throwing it downstairs whole. That does make me very cross, I must say. I have no teeth down here to use so as to grind and tear meat to pieces. Then, too, I like to have it well mixed with spittle, because I know it will be much easier to handle, and will make so much better milding material for this little house. The little dwarf cheerfully receives all the bread, butter, meat, vegetables, milk, water, and dessert that's sent down the tube at mealtimes, provided it is, as we have said, nicely chewed and well mixed with spittle. But he gets very cross when you pour a lot of ice water, for instance, down the food tube. Bother, he says. I do wish my master would not allow that. Here is a lot of cold water. Now I'll have to warm it all up before I can go on with my work. Why didn't he remind the mouth to hold it long enough to warm it a bit before sending it down to me? Still, the little dwarf is, after all, such a good, faithful, good-natured servant that however cross he may get, he goes right to work to heat up the cold water. Then, from the sides of the stomach, where there are many little tubes, the dwarf takes a kind of juice, like and yet unlike spittle. This is now mixed up with the food, which the stomach next turns up and down and around and around for one, two, or three hours, until it is all mixed up into a soft mass, and so changed that you could not tell any more which part was meat or bread or vegetables. Besides the little tubes which pour juice into the stomach, there are many others who pump up the watery parts of the food after the stomach has churned it and carry off this material to help make new blood. When the stomach has churned the food for a while, and as soon as any of it is ready to pass on, the dwarf opens a little door at the other end of the stomach and lets the soft food drop down into a big pipe, all ready to receive it. You will soon hear more about this pipe and about the food, but now we want to watch the little dwarf. When he has got rid of all the food, he breathes a sigh of relief. He has been working very hard and says, There, that work is neatly done. Now I must see about making more juice, so that when the next food comes tumbling downstairs, I'll have plenty on hand wherewith to churn it up nicely. The dwarf then sets, put, sets to work, putting all the little juice buckets in order. Sometimes, when he is thus busy, and before he has had a chance to rest, the master telegraphs again that more food is coming to be taken care of. This makes the poor little dwarf very cross indeed. There are, you know, many children who treat their dwarf just so. They are very greedy, and never eat anything save what they like. These are often things which taste good, but which fill up the stomach, and do not supply much material out of which blood can be made to keep the little house in good repair. This naturally makes the little dwarf very angry indeed, for he knows he is working hard and all in vain. So he growls and grumbles and said, My master ought to have more sense. Does he think I can make good building material out of nothing but candy, cake, jam, pickles, or other such stuff as that? It is silly as if he expected a builder to use loaves of bread instead of bricks and taffy instead of mortar. Candy and cake are all right, if you only have a little of them, mixed up with the other things, such as milk, eggs, meat, vegetables, fruit, and bread. But they are not much good if you get nothing else, I can assure you. When the little dwarf is really angry, he goes about his work in a sulky, half-hearted way. He does not mix the food up well, and is in a great hurry to get rid of it. 
Sometimes he is so very cross, growls so much, and makes such a fuss that it actually gives the master upstairs a bad headache. At other times, the dwarf says in disgust, Huh, food that does not make good blood always smells bad after it gets down here. Now, I'll let a whiff of the bad smell creep back upstairs so that master can know what a great mistake it is to send such stuff down here. Then the dwarf opens the upper door, and the smell creeps up, 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 fills the staircase and hallways, and even rushes out of the mouth or front door. Then other people can smell it, too, for sometimes one hears them say, Oh, oh, so-and-so has such bad breath. Surely he has eaten something that does not agree with him. As I have told you, the stomach dwarf is really a good-natured, obliging little fellow. He will put up with much ill-treatment for a time. But when he gets very cross and begins to rebel, he can make it very uncomfortable for the master of the house. Once in a great while, too much candy or something else comes tumbling downstairs, which is either very bad for the stomach, or which is more than poor stomach, however elastic, can contain. Then the dwarf gets in a big rage. He stamps about, clenches his fists, and all at once cries out, I won't stand this any longer. With that, he gives the stomach such a fierce turn and shake that all the food which is in it is hurled upstairs again with great force. The master, whose head generally aches at this time because of the noise the dwarf has made, although no one else can hear it, now receives word that food is coming up the staircase. Now, as you know, this is not the usual direction in which food travels, and the master is horribly put out and disgusted at having things go wrong. Still, he cannot help it now, for he quickly telegraphs to the trapdoor to close and the front door to open. Then the food, which the stomach would not keep, all passes out of the house again. When this happens to a child, people say, Oh, the poor child is sick at his stomach. Or, poor thing, how she vomits. What can be the matter with her? She must be ill. The real trouble, generally, is that the child has ill-treated its poor stomach until at last rebels and takes its revenge by ill-treating the child for a little while, so as to teach the youngster to behave more sensibly another time. When the stomach has thus been forced to punish its master for much ill use, it is just as well to give it a chance to rest. After a few hours of lying down, one can sip a little hot water into which was put a pinch of salt. This flows down the staircase and into the stomach, where the dwarf is glad to use it to wash out his little room and make it all sweet and clean once more. About a half hour later, if the dwarf is very quiet and the master's head stops aching, a little warm milk and toast is very good. Generally, the dwarf receives this food very kindly, and if the master sends nothing but very plain food down to him for the next few days, he is likely to recover all his cheerful spirits and good temper, and to be once more the obliging, hard-working little servant whom I've already described. Still, there is something besides wrong food or too much of it, which is very likely to put the stom stomach dwarf out of temper. That is eating too often, and you will see it is quite natural that this should make him cross when I explain to you just how it affects him. As I told you, the stomach dwarf receives all the food which comes down at mealtimes and then sets to work to churn it up. This takes one, two, or three hours, sometimes even more. The length of time depends partly upon the kind of food which was sent down to it, partly upon the quantity, and partly whether it was well chewed and nicely mixed with spittle. If during one, two, or three more hours, a telegram suddenly comes from the master saying, more food is coming down the stairway, the dwarf has to stop work so as to go and receive it. 
Then he has to make the, mix this new food with juice and shake and stir it so as to get it ready to handle with the rest. Meantime, the food, which he had been obliged to stop working over, and which has grown very hot in the stomach, begins to spoil. And by the time the dwarf can to attend to it once more, it is partly rotten and no longer good to make blood. Then the dwarf grumbles and says, To think of all this nice food spoiling and going to waste, after everyone has had the trouble to get it ready and send it down here. Yes, it is a shame. It is good for nothing now. It won't make good blood no matter how hard I try. If my master only had a little sense, he would have kept that front door tightly shut. The very idea of letting in candy, cake, or any other stuff while I am still busy. He ought to know better. If he does not look out, I'll get angry and kick. Then, too, food sometimes comes tumbling down at the very minute when the poor dwarf has got rid of the last meal, is longing for a little rest and a chance to make some more juice. This, too, makes him very angry indeed. Now, there are some children who never give their poor stomach dwarfs a chance to rest as long as they are awake. The little fellow is kept busy with a bit of this and a taste of that, and has to work, work all the time. Just stop and think how you would like to be treated in that way, and whether it is quite fair that you should treat your stomach dwarf so. You surely see now why older people often say to children, you should not eat between meals. Yes, the older people are quite right. It is not good for your health to eat any but regular hours, and you should take only just enough of the most wholesome kind of food. If you are strong, if you sleep well, and if you have rosy cheeks, it won't hurt you a bit to have a little plain cake or candy for dessert. But if you put sweets into your pockets, and all the time between one meal and the next, take a bite now and then, you keep bothering your poor stomach dwarf, and by and by he will be sure to bother you. Once in a while, a fruit stone or a button or a bit of bone is swallowed by accident and comes into the stomach. The little dwarf turns this strange thing over and over, shakes it and moistens it. Only when he finds that he can do nothing with it, does he allow to pass on into the big tube so as to get rid of it as quickly as possible. Sometimes the stomach dwarf, however badly treated, works on month after month and year after year as best he can, but he is nevertheless growing always weaker and weaker and more tired, so that by the time his master is grown up, he will be quite worn out and hardly able to work any more at all. Then the master will always be more or less sick and uncomfortable. He will have to have a doctor to take lots of nasty medicine, will be allowed to eat and drink only certain things, and be obliged to spend ever so much time and money taking care of a stomach, which, if treated well in childhood, would have grown up stronger rather than weaker, and would have proved a faithful little servant as long as its master needed it. Until a baby is a year old at least, it should never have the smallest taste of anything except milk mother gives it, or the food carefully prepared for it in its bottle. When most of baby's teeth have come through, it may have a crust of bread or a cracker to bite upon, besides having milk, baby food, and sometimes a soft-boiled egg. Little by little as he grows older, baby learns to eat hominy, rice, oatmeal, mashed potatoes with gravy, and other soft and simple things. But it is only when a child has all his teeth, when you can make him clearly understand that he must chew the food he puts into his mouth, that it is at all safe to give him even the tiniest bit of meat or anything hard. This is so well known by wise doctors that there is a law in France to forbid giving any solid food to children under two years of age. Any person doing so is therefore arrested, put in prison, or fined, just as happens here when anyone steals. 
in France, they say such people are robbing the baby of his health, his most precious possession, and they are right. There are some parents, who really should know much better, who give small children a wee taste of every different kind of food upon the table, just to see what they will do. These people sometimes laugh until they cry over the funny faces babies make. This is not only silly, it is also very unkind to treat poor children so badly. You know how tender a baby's outer skin is. Well, the skin inside a baby is very, very delicate, too. It is so delicate that the least little thing can make it very sore. Even a wee little taste of one of the many things which grown-up people can eat, without it doing them any harm at all, is therefore very bad for a baby. Of course, after baby has once tasted sugar, candy, cake, and many other things which please him while in his mouth, he wants more. Poor baby doesn't know that as yet, none of the right kind of juice in his mouth or down in his stomach to mix up with this food and turn it into blood, but the older people ought to know that. The food that goes down into his little stomach, where the dwarf, who is all ready to take care of milk or baby food only, does not know what to do with the strange stuff which has come down to him. He shakes it up, but that only makes the tender stomach skin very sore and uncomfortable. Then poor baby frets and cries, and everyone wonders, why is that child so dreadfully cross? After baby has been very unhappy, and has made others unhappy too, someone may suggest he has a pain, and give him a little medicine to stop it. But if baby had nothing but his own food, and only at the right time so that his stomach could have a little rest, he would probably not have needed this medicine at all, and would have been saved the discomfort he had to endure. A baby who has never tasted cake or candy or anything but what he should eat does not know that the other things are good, so of course he does not want them, and he is much more likely to grow up strong and happy without them. I have heard people say, Oh, but baby sees me eat these things, and he wants to eat them too. Well, baby sees you light a fire, ride a bicycle, sew on the machine, and do a host of other things which you would not dream of letting him do, never mind how much he wanted to do them or how hard he cried. And after all, there are really no worse for baby than feeding him the wrong kind of food. Even little babies can soon learn not to ask for or touch certain things, if the older people are only wise and patient with the way they teach him. If baby once learns that he never gets anything to eat, save what is put on his own plate or into his own mug, he will not give nearly so much trouble as if he is allowed to taste what other people eat. Some wise mamas know this very well, and are therefore very strict and careful, but many others do not know or understand this, and their poor baby suffers. Sometimes older brothers and sisters have to take care of baby while mother is out or busy. If you ever have to do so, you should be very careful not to give baby even a taste of food you may be eating, because as you now know, his stomach is not yet ready for it, and you may make him very ill. Until three or four years of age, a child's meat and other food should be minced very fine, or mashed, before he is allowed to put it in his mouth. But even then, he should be taught to chew it well. When he has learned to do so thoroughly, and when you are quite sure he can be trusted, you can give him meat which has been cut into small pieces, and it will do him no harm. The lining of all children's stomachs is so very tender that they should never eat highly seasoned things, and until they are grown up, they should never touch tea, coffee, mustard, pepper, pickles, or such things. Even then, they should use these things only very moderately, for they do not make blood and can do harm. You may be greatly surprised to hear this, and you may say, 
Oh, nonsense. I have eaten pickles and mustard and have drunk tea and coffee often. It has never done me any harm, and I like all those things. As I have told you, the skin lining your stomach is very thin and sensitive. In fact, much thinner and far more sensitive than the skin covering even the inner part of your arm. Now, take for instance a small spoonful of mustard, just as much as you would put on your plate. Lay it on your arm, just above your wrist, and tie a cloth over it to keep it in place. Leave the mustard there two or three hours. That is the length of time the mustard would remain in your stomach, you know. And then see what happens. Remember, just the same thing, only far worse, happens down in your stomach. For the skin there feels the effect of the mustard much more quickly than the thick skin upon your arm. When you are quite grown up, and when the skin of your stomach has grown tough with age and use, a little mustard may not do you any harm, but may even do you much good. But such things, while wholesome for grown-up people, are decidedly bad for all children. I have known some children who, after trying the mustard experiment for themselves, and receiving the explanation which I have here given, have been wise enough to get up all high seasoning, highly seasoned and spiced things, and drinking tea and coffee, although they were very fond of them all. In a few cases, the parents, not understanding the reason of this change in their children's diet, made great fun of them, said it was a cranky notion, and declared they had always eaten and drunk such things, and so had their parents, some of which had lived to be 80. All of this is very true, but people who lived to be 80, in spite of eating the wrong kind of food and drinking tea and coffee, would certainly have lived to 100, had they done so without unwholesome things, especially when they were young. None but very plain food should ever pass a child's lips, and certainly no child should ever drink anything but water or milk, or once in a great while, a little cocoa, chocolate, lemonade, or some simple fruit syrup. All other drinks, even cider, root beer, and soda water, are not good for children, as will be explained to you further on. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchanted library. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchanted library. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.